Hello, it's Paul Scott here, UK small caps investor, commentator and writer of the small cap value reports on Stockopedia for the last 11 years. And I've been investing in small caps for over 25 years, um, over 20 years for my living. And then obviously my side hustle, as, as they call it these days, is writing the small cap reports on Stockopedia with Graham Neary, which we love doing. I've been balancing up um, having visitors with this week with work. My brother and sister-in-law came down to stay with me, so I think I managed to pull it off. I was getting up at half six and writing the Stockopedia reports in the mornings, and then in the afternoons we were out and about, um, went on a really, really nice pleasure cruise around Poole Harbour, which is just on the doorstep here where I live in, in Bournemouth. There's really uh, so much to see and do around here. You don't really need to go on holiday when, when the weather was nice. Um, so, yeah, and then uh, I had lots of nice meals and plenty of wine in the evenings. So, um, yeah, so very nice week. Anyway, let's get on to... Oh, so I'm recording this on Saturday the 26th, 6th of August. I'll try not to drop any T's or G's in this uh, podcast this week. So let's look at Monday's report then. This is the 21st of August 2023. Graham and I looked at three com- uh, five companies. Sorry. Now, the first one I looked at was Robert Walters, RWA. Now, this was actually, they'd reported numbers, interim numbers, some time ago, and I hadn't got round to looking at them, just time pressure, not not deliberate. Uh, the results came out on 1st of August, so yeah, over three weeks ago. So I looked at these H1 results, and I've always thought Robert Walters was a really, you know, really quality um, growth at reasonable price type of share, but I must admit I'm having my doubts now. Um, these H1 results were were really surprisingly weak. Uh, profit before tax fell 70, 70, 70% in H1. And now, uh, even though net fee income didn't drop much, it was only a slight drop in net fee income, so the culprit seems to be margin and also a rather ill-timed, with hindsight, increase in its overheads. Um, So I think this shows that the profitability at Robert Walters is a lot more flaky than I imagined it would be, and the forecasts have substantially reduced. So I really am questioning whether Robert Walters is as good as I previously thought. Now, on the positive side, I must say uh, the Dividends have been maintained and are still very generous, so you've got a great yield on there. And it's got a really strong balance sheet with lots of net cash, so it can afford to keep paying uh, big dividends, even if they're now only just covered by earnings. And it's doing share buybacks as well. Uh, Anyway, um, I've been previously uh, amber and amber green on Robert Walters. Uh, we 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 were green previously, but we turned uh, a little bit more neutral on it, I think, in June when the first signs of a trading downturn were announced. So obviously we have to reflect that in our in our colour coding of how we view them. They're only per- personal opinions. They're not Stockopedia opinions as such. That has its own system, of course, the stock rank, rank system, which is brilliant. Um, <clears throat> and also the stock styles, uh, which are next to the name, uh, is another system which is, is very interesting. It categorises shares into categories like super stocks or value traps and things like that. So some really, really... Uh, 
excellent stuff there on the on the stock report. So uh, Graham and I, our traffic light system is is kind of separate, but but you know influenced by stock ranks as well, obviously. So yeah, we're only amber on Robert Walters. I think if I had to buy into a staffing company, I'd go for S three. The ticker there is STEM S T E M. It just feels too soon though to me. You know, I think there are very clear signs now emerging emerging in some sectors that. Uh, you know, the economy really does seem to be slowing down now. We're seeing that very much now with the house builders, which I'll come on to next. But also recruiters are starting to say in the Outlook comments that, uh, you know, the the labour market is definitely softening now. And uh, I think the Bank of England's policy hikes, aggressive interest rate hikes, are clearly now um, impacting and slowing the economy. Uh, Let's hope they don't just continue by chasing this uh, elusive... Uh, inflation target, which of course is, is is a lagging indicator anyway. The forward indicators seem very clearly to be showing that yes, the economy is slowing down now in some sectors, and which will probably then spill over to other sectors, won't it? So, um, <clears throat> I think we can forget any H two recovery in the economy. This is what companies are, are generally telling us now. Uh, probably, a, a, a hopefully, a short and mild recession now seems to be uh, where we're heading. And that's not necessarily bad for all companies. You know, plenty of companies do well in recessions, even in weak sectors. So, um, and of course, valuations in small caps are already pricing in a recession. So I don't see any reason to panic on this. But certainly, you know, the facts and figures are are deteriorating. So my view has deteriorated. That's the only way to look at things, isn't it? So moving on next. So Robert Walters, yeah, not madly keen on that one. Moving on, moving on next to Chris Nicholson, CRST. This is a house builder that Graham uh, reported on. It issued a profit warning. Again, no great surprise. And the share price dropped because we know we know the housing housing market is rapidly slowing because people can't afford to buy because of the six percent mortgage rates that they're being quoted. So it's obvious. We all we all know that that, that the house builders are gonna have a bad year. They've already told us. But it does seem to be that it's actually got worse than they thought. Um so Cress Nicholson was down fourteen percent to one pound sixty seven. Now that values it at four hundred and thirty million. Now as Graham pointed out, the net tangible asset value is almost double the market cap. So you're getting astonishing asset backing there. But as one of the readers pointed out, you know, um, say a 10% drop in uh, house prices would feed through to a much larger drop in land prices. He reckoned 30% drop in land prices if because it's the sort of residual element of how they do their sums in terms of how much money they're going to make on on property develop, development so you could see quite a big drop in in net tangible asset value if house builders have to write down their land holdings to lower valuations which is what happened in 2008 i seem to recall um so net tangible asset value on these house builders is not necessarily fixed. It can drop and quite a lot. But it's not a threat to solvency with any of them, I don't think, because they've got such strong balance sheets now and most of them have net cash, whereas in previous housing downturns they've been laden with debt and almost gone bust. That's not going to happen this time, even if you have a severe uh, drop in house prices because they're so well capitalised. So Crest Nicholson, we think, looks interesting. Graham's green on it just because of the deep value there. Um, 
although obviously we're looking we're looking more medium term we don't know what's going to happen in the short term so graham also looked at dp eurasia nv this is the thing that's a domino's pizza franchisee in uh, russia and turkey well anyway the russian subsidiary is being cut cut loose it's 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 being put into bankruptcy which graham thinks is good news because the losses associated with that uh, with that part of the business are now gone. It's written off. And Graham thinks the remaining business in Turkey looks quite interesting, worth a, a second look. He's said here, he's amber on it. Now, he also mentioned something briefly about 888 Holdings, which Graham personally owns, he says. Uh, he just flags up that the consortium that took an interest in it and caused the share price to spike uh, are now selling down their holdings, so there could be an overhang there at 888. Oh, and a postscript, a sad end, but very predictable ending, really, for Fulcrum Utility, FCRM. This has been a complete disaster, unfortunately. We turned negative on it. Uh, it, it was a potential turnaround, but the, what management said about how they would turn it around turned out to be wildly inaccurate and over-optimistic, and um, it's really been a total disaster. And It's been propped up with convertible loans by shareholders, including Mr Mills at Harwood, who... Um, certainly gets his pound of flesh out of distressed situations. So they're delisting it, which makes sense. There's no point in having a listing now. Uh, the market's not interested in refinancing. Pity, because actually I looked at the accounts, the most recent accounts, and it's 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 actually not a, not a terrible business. I think it just ran out of money at the wrong point in time. And no doubt they'll probably delist it, turn it round, and then refloat it for 100 million or something. <laughs> That's what Harwood's done in the past. I mean, good luck to them. If other shareholders are not prepared to stand their ground and, and put more money in, then it's winner take all, isn't it? So that's the end of that one. So we won't have to waste your time reporting on that one again. Now, most of the reader comments on Monday were about the house building sector. Lots of interesting perspectives there. Thank you for that. Also, various readers are talking about market illiquidity at the moment and pricing anomalies, even on some quite large uh, shares where we're seeing bizarre pricing anomalies apparently on Monday. Uh, we're talking about investor sentiment as well. A lot of very, very gloomy readers we had. Here we are, Ben Summers um, put up quite despondent posts here saying the market at the moment feels worse to me than 2008. Well, I replied to that and several other people did as well, saying it's nothing like 2008. Seriously, that was me orders of magnitude worse than what we're seeing at the moment. Things were, were just in free fall during the bear fa phases in 2008 with sharp rebounds, then more falls and Oh, it was far worse than what we're seeing at the moment. Although I think AIM is down something like, is it 40, 45% from uh, its 2021 high? So, I mean, certainly small caps have been horrendous, haven't they? But we're getting the value. And I think a lot of it is, is driven by um, fund managers with re fund redemptions becoming forced sellers. That only goes on for so long. We had a similar thing in 2002. And when it eventually ended... There was amazing value, and 2003, I think I mentioned before, was my best ever year. I made absolutely spectacular returns in 2003. Um, so, you know, you've always got to look ahead and think, well, actually, these these grim conditions that we're seeing at the moment won't last forever, and you can you can it's it's where you sow the seeds of your big future winners. I think when you're buying from people who are selling for 
irrational reasons. Companies that are performing well, they're selling because they need the liquidity, not because they want to sell. Well, that's a marvellous opportunity. Now, I responded, uh, Ben said to me here, uh, do you actually make money, Paul, long term on the market? And I've replied to him, yes, I do. Um, very much so. I mean, obviously, I've had feast and famine with the spread bet accounts, but my ungeared portfolio has achieved, uh, which I've never really focused on that much. <clears throat> I've only started to focus on it uh, recently because I've I've shut down my geared accounts. It's too stressful using gearing. So anyway, yes, I've achieved 14% per annum compound since 2012, which I'm not at all happy with. It should have been much, much higher than 14%. I think 20% plus compound is achievable in small caps. You'll get the odd year where things go wrong. I know plenty of people who who achieve similar or higher numbers to what I've achieved. Now, you might think, well, 14% isn't very good, but think again, because I've just put a, a little spreadsheet up here. If you, it's, the, it's the golden power of compounding. <clears throat> I mean, with my own portfolio, in the, what is it, uh, in the 11 years since I've been um, managing my own SIP, um, I've achieved 14% per annum compound. Doesn't sound much, does it? Well, think again, because in 11 years, that, may <clears throat> that means the original, if we say 100, it wasn't 100, but if we say 100 grand just for the sake of argument, um, would be 423 grand after 11 years, putting no extra money in, just the compounding effect of 14% per annum in 11 years goes from 100 to 423. And by the time you're at um, year 16, it's up to 814 from the original 100. Uh, and you're making 100 grand per annum, making 100 grand per annum gain. So by year 16, your annual gain is the same as your original entire portfolio. And you're a millionaire by year 18. Uh, that your hundred grand has grown to one million and fifty eight thousand, and then you're up to over well over one point five million by year twenty one. So you don't need spectacular gains. Um, <clears throat> you know, fourteen percent is a very respectable return if you can achieve that. You know, let's pop a different number in there. Let's put it to twenty percent. Yeah, I mean the numbers are absolutely off the scale if you can achieve. Uh, 20% per annum compound, which is a, is a tough ask. But I do know people who have achieved that. And you can turn 100 grand in 20 years into 3.8 million if you compound at 20% per annum. So it just shows, I think, those steady, um, respectable returns, if you can achieve that in small caps, it is doable. And you can do very, very well in, in small caps. So I remain extremely positive about small caps. I'll caveat that by saying, obviously, most of them are rubbish. So you have to screen out. Small caps investing is really a, a selection process where you just screen out everything unless it's really, really good uh, in terms of risk reward. And the best investors I know do that. They tend to have fairly concentrated portfolios. They pick their spots and they're happy sitting in cash if they can't find anything that uh, delivers the right risk-reward. It's all about discipline. I haven't got the right personality for this, personally. I get too excited, I take the wrong risks and so on. So I'm not suited to be doing small-cap investing at all, really. But I still manage to do OK in the long term. And as I mentioned to um, 
Ben, who queried me on it, you know, I've made a lot of money from the market over the long term. Um, it's, it's been feast or famine, but, uh, you know, uh, you can make good money from the market long term if you're disciplined in your, impro- in, your, in your approach. And there are lots of different approaches that work. So I think having the, some rules and sticking to them or amending the rules to improve them gradually, you know, it's a lifelong pursuit. It's a passion. And you've got to enjoy the process. If you don't enjoy the process, then, you know, it's probably best to move on and do something else with your, with your time. I feel very much we have to flip the emotions on their heads. If you look at a lot of the shares that you or me are holding currently, many of them are, you know, half or less than half uh, the value they were in 2021, despite the fact that they're good companies and they're performing quite well, most of them. Um, otherwise, I wouldn't be holding them. And um, so why are, we, why are we despondent at the valuation? We should be celebrating the fact that they're, they're so cheap and we're going to make a ton of money on these positions. So I do think, you know, when you're driven by, by those emotions, you have to block them out and actually flip them round and say, no, I shouldn't be despondent that my portfolio has gone down a lot. I should be looking at all the shares in there, looking at all the shares in my portfolio and, um, and, and double-checking, making sure that companies are doing well. And if they are, if they're trading well and they're ridiculously cheap, which many, many small caps are currently then, you know, I think it's, it's, it's something to be, to be excited about, the fact that you think about the gains you're going to make in future, assuming, of course, nothing's going wrong under the surface. Uh, so, yeah, fighting those natural instincts and emotions and actually flipping them around, <clears throat> I think, is a good strategy. So much of investing is actually about psychology, isn't it? It's, it's, it's learning to control and um, manage your own emotions, uh, is is a vital skill. Right, on to Tuesday then. Now, uh, seeing machines Graham looked at, this is the uh, the camera's um, clever software that tracks your eyeball movements for and uh, for driver and pilot alertness. Been going for donkey's ears, promising jam, jam tomorrow all the time. Um, uh, you know, losing money all the time, lots of fundraisers. So Graham's read on it. I mean, there are signs of progress here. Uh, it is achieving um, revenues ahead of expectations, it says here. But Graham f- flags up the fact that they really seem to report rather deceptively, I think. They're trying to um, present a misleading picture on, on the cash side of things. But Graham flags up... Um, you know, it's still got continued cash burn and it's got debt, um, which it sort of glosses over. So we don't like misleading style announcements from seeing machines and other companies. So that's one of the reasons Graham's read on that. I've been in and out of this share myself before, but um, I don't know. I mean, it, it, you know, it's making progress, but would I pay 240 million for seeing machines? No way. Uh, Graham also looked at Frankel Topping, which all sound, always sounds like some sort of dessert, doesn't it? Like Angel Delight or something. Have you, uh, you know, got a pack of Frankel Topping in the cupboard? <laughs> well, actually, it's a financial services, uh, professional services group. I did meet management years ago, and it was something to do with, I think they help... Um, disabled people and people who've been in accidents who've received large compensation for bodily injuries and so on. Um, Frankel Topping specialises in um, providing investment and advice services for them, which sounds uh, a good good thing to do. And um, its trading update was in line. Graham's amber on it, so no great shakes there. Now, I looked at Cakebox. This is another one with misleading reporting, which I really 
did um, take them to task over, there was an AGM statement which was um, quite positive, actually. Acceleration in store revenues is reported. Uh, Like-for-like sales have improved. They're franchise stores, remember, with Cakebox. These are egg-free cakes. Um, I I always wonder why they don't do diabetic cakes as well. I'm diabetic myself. And actually, I've just gone on some new medication this year. I've been battling with it for three years, and it has some pretty unpleasant uh, symptoms. Um, But the new pills I started two weeks ago uh, have really worked. My blood... Prick my own finger now with a, you know, blood testing device, and uh, my readings are, are within the normal range now, which is wonderful, isn't it? So I'm really happy about that, uh, and I definitely feel feel better. So, uh, but but you can't get low or zero sugar cakes or or biscuits or anything. You can't get them anywhere, and yet 10% of the adult population, I think, uh, certainly the over 50s anyway, are diabetic. It's because our food is so laden with sugar. Uh, we're being poisoned by these food companies. Why on earth don't they start bringing low or zero sugar ranges uh, generally? But I think there's a big opportunity there for Cakebox, so I hope they do that. Anyway, um, they say some of the ingredients have fallen in price, in particular cream, fresh cream, so that's encouraging. Um, But they're passing that on to the franchisees with lower fees to help them rebuild their margins. Um, Now, this is what uh, really miffed me about Kate Box, they changed the wording. In last year's AGM statement, they said they they referred to profit against market expectations, which is the whole point of a trading update. This year, they changed the wording to uh, say that revenues were in line with ex- market expectations. Well, do they think we're stupid, that we're not going to notice the change? I think that's so bad. Really, you know, change, changing the wording so that they can dodge actually reporting whether or not they're in line with expectations is seriously bad. And that just raises questions, doesn't it? Makes you think, well, then maybe they're, then they're not as confident as, as they were, uh, and so they don't want to commit to meeting market expectations. So that I, I thought that was appalling. Um, <clears throat> so I'm very, very unhappy with Kate Box uh, reporting there, particularly as it comes along uh, with a whole series of trust issues with this company in the past. Now, they've got, um, with with dodgy accounts, uh, a former FD who dumped millions of pounds of shares just before, um, you know, a scathing audit report. You know, it's it's got a horrible history. But they have, uh, they seem to have put their house in order with a new FD who's doing it, and they're professionalising their operations. So I think Cakebox is doing a lot of things to put it right. And it's a fundamentally good business, I think, Cakebox is. But they always seem to score stupid own goals. And this was the latest one where they tried to dodge the question of... Now, the bull story is that there's an Australian uh, cheesecake company sniffing around Cakebox and wants to bid from it for it, and a price of £1.60 was mooted. But, of course, the founders, the family, con- control Cakebox, and nothing's going to happen without their consent. And why would they want to sell down at pound sixty? doesn't make any sense to me. So I'd be very surprised if a bid does come through on Cakebox. Um, but as I say, you know, may, maybe I'm over overthinking it, but they just seem to um, score too many own, own goals for my liking, But which is a pity because I do like the business. I'd like to own some Cakebox shares, but I just don't trust the company because it keeps um, doing these um, bad things.
Now, in terms of things we didn't look at on Tuesday, lookers reported interims. Now, that is in a takeover bid situation, but I did report on that on Friday's report, so that's been ticked off. And Annexo, which is the ambulance chasing credit hire and compensation uh, legal business, uh, the interims for that, I actually covered those in Wednesday's report, so we'll come on to that. So the only thing we didn't cover on Tuesday was Empresaria, which was is a tiny little staffing, very strange collection of staffing businesses, 20 million market caps, so very small, and the share price hasn't moved much, so I don't think we've missed anything there. I'm not particularly keen to report on tiny uh, staffing firms at the moment because the whole sector seems to be uh, going into a downturn. So, you know... Right, on to Wednesday's report. This was the 23rd of August. I looked at cohort. I should disclose this is a personal holding of mine. This is a collection of six defence businesses. Very, very good interview I did with the CEO recently, uh, Andy Thomas, who I think comes across really, really well. 200 million market cap. He's been he's been there about 15 years as the CEO. Uh, very good track record as well of acquisitions, selective, careful uh, acquisitions they do every now and again. So really nice business and very reasonably priced, I would say. Forward P is only 13 times on cohort. Great visibility with a huge order book. Um, nearly all of the current year's revenues are, are kind of already contracted. It's got high-quality scores. Um, I like everything about it, really. Reasonable and well-covered dividends, strong balance sheet, experience management. I put here, what more could I ask for? So, yeah, I li- I really like Cohort. Now, um, why did I mention this? Oh, yes, it announced another big contract win. This, I think, is the seventh contract win this year. Quite substantial size as well, so that adds even more visibility. Doesn't, doesn't seem to have moved the forecast, so looks like it was in the pipeline. But it, it reassures, doesn't it, when... Um, when you get contract win announcements. So that's good. I, I like Cohort a lot. And that, that had been drifting down. I bought at the wrong point. I paid too much for them, unfortunately. But I don't care because I'm going to just hold it long term anyway. You know, if I paid 10% too much for it, it doesn't matter. I'm not bothered. So um, that one, uh, I'm, I've, cu- I've coloured that green. I like Cohort a lot. I don't think it's going to do anything in the short term, but I think, you know, in in a bear market, but I think that is a fundamentally mispriced share. In the past, it's always had a much, much higher rating. So I think there could be 30, 40, 50% upside on it when the next bull market uh, really gets gets, uh, cracking. Uh, so yeah, cohort I like Traxis. Now this is a, a, a very nice company that's we've covered for many many years. TRCS used to be run by a John MacArthur, who's a great guy. Everyone likes John, and a very disciplined acquisitions man. Didn't seem to put a foot wrong really with Traxis. Now uh, it issued a, an inline trading update. Graham looked at this. Graham's amber on it. We think it's quite good. It's had a good recovery. Uh, it does rail and um, niche rail software and other things related to transport, like measuring, you know, flows of people in, in going through stations and all, all sorts of bits and pieces. For a strange little group, really, of odd uh, companies, but all, all transport linked. So there is a theme there. Um, anyway, it's finished July 2023 year end in line with expectations. Uh, growth in cash held back by acquisition payments. These are now in the rear view mirror, Graham says. We we do think um, Traxxas shares are generally overpriced, but actually it's come down quite a lot. It's £7.78 now. Um, 
still but still pricey but graham's saying he thinks it's fairly valued now so that's okay now one i looked at next i really really dislike this this is anexo which i mentioned a moment ago <gasps> oh excuse me this is anx this is the um this is the ambulance chasing business it muscles into car accidents and 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 provides a a credit hire car to the no fault party and it then uh, attacks the insurance company with a, a large claim, which um, have, have to be negotiated and reduced and so on to get the money. Anyway, the big problem... This reminds me so much of Accident Exchange and Quindell, which were both credit hire and compensation companies that uh, spec- went spectacularly wrong, for the same reason in both cases that they couldn't collect the cash in. They ended up with the receivables book that got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger until they ran out of cash. Well, an EXO, it looks exactly the same to me. It's got a vast receivables book, over 200 million, um, and it looks like it's maxed out pretty much every form of debt it can get hold of. Um, I think it looks awful. Absolutely dreadful. Although I have to say, to be fair, the interim results did show an improvement in cash flow in H1. But if you look at the prior year, nearly all the profits got swallowed up in increased receivables. So there was no cash profits at all. And that's what happens in this sector with the um, more uh, aggressive ones. The only firm in, the, in this in this credit hire space that is any good, I think, is ready northgate which of course merged with the van hire business so dilutes the risk of the credit hire business but they work collaboratively collaboratively with insurers and they get paid in about four months when i last looked at it well anexo is not getting paid for 18 months so it's got all this this money tied up in receivables and if you look at the notes to the account you can see that they make enormous write-offs from the receivables and then I remember with Accident Exchange, in order to stay solvent, it had to do bulk settlement deals with the insurers where they would say to them, we'll just pay half or whatever the figure was in order just to get the cash in. And I could see a similar situation possibly arising with Anexo. Anyway, it was uncanny looking at these numbers. They remind me so much of Accident Exchange and Quindell. So even though Anexo looks very cheap on a PE basis, bear in mind the profits are not real because they're not turning into cash. So, um, you know, the PE could be one and it wouldn't be cheap because um, because because the profits don't turn into cash. So I think be very, very careful with this one. Although I do caveat my comments by saying this could be a trading punt. You know, if you if you if you just see it as a, as a gambling chip and just say, well, actually, the chart seems to be firming up, which it does. It looks very low, uh, way below a tangible asset value, very low PE. So some people will look at those metrics, be completely unaware or just ignore all the uh, concerns that I've flagged and they'll just pump the share up so you never know you could make money on NXO for a bounce but I wouldn't touch it personally. Graham looked at Costain this is the big public sector contracting business big contracts but tiny wafer thin margins that's why it's only valued at 229 million market cap at £7.78p a share. Costain, this is. H1 results, Graham looked at. Now, he likes them on... on He's green on Costain purely because of the valuation. It's so cheap. And it's got a pretty good balance sheet. Um, it's got £130 million of net cash, although often the cash is effectively clients' cash that's been paid up front. Um, 
but he's flagged it's on a P of four, and they're trying to improve their margins at um, at Costain. I looked at it myself, and I think actually I, I I might have a little punt on this. I think it really is very very cheap. Not something I'd want to hold long term, but I think there might be a trade for a bounce in there. And we're doing very well on bounce trades at the moment. Do you remember? Do you remember? I think it was about a fortnight ago. I um, suggested people have a look at, uh, oh God, what was it called? Oh, Restore, RST, the document storage thing. I wrote up a a piece on it on Stockopedia, um, got it up by 8am so that people could action the trade if they wanted to. We're not traders, but if you see an opportunity to make some money, why not grab it? That's my view. And I did. And at £1.25, I bought some Restore myself. Well, in two weeks or, uh, or so, roughly, they've gone up to £1.75, which was pretty much my target price. I said in my article, I think this is worth about £1.70. So I bought them at £1.25. I'm now out of Restore. I saw, I started selling at about £1.60 and just sold in several tranches because I needed the money for other things. And it had achieved what I'd wanted and thought it would achieve so there are good trading opportunities at the moment and you know if you've got the time and you can uh, you can monitor the prices and so on i think it's i think it's worth uh, doing a, a, that as a little bit of a side hustle that's basically the only way i'm making i'm making money this year i'm making good money this year actually on two things takeover bids i've had two big my biggest position has been bid for uh, uh, twice now uh, Seraphine and BOTB. I made good money on both, spectacular money on Seraphine actually, but that was luck because you never know that a bid is actually going to happen, do you? And the other thing I've made money on this year is these is these bouncing trades. Tiny builds I did very well on, buying at I think an average of seven and a half p and selling at about twelve and a half p. So that was that was good actually. I did well on that one. Uh, the being the restore I did quite well on. And there've been there've been quite a few of these things actually. So do check the um, if I see a shorter term trade, I'll try and get it up by eight a.m. or shortly afterwards. So it's worth checking the reports early for uh, trading things that that we've spotted. Um, Angling Direct, I looked at H1 Trading Update. Uh, I'm amber on this. It's bounced a lot. It was one of my top share picks for 2023 back in January, early January, and it's up about 40%. So that's very nice. I think the valuation now is probably up with events. It's got a 17 million cash pile at Angling Direct, which obviously sells fishing gear from shops and online. Hardly makes any margin though. Only 0.9 million. PBT expected for the full year, uh, which does make me wonder what's the point. You know, if you can't make money uh, selling fishing gear, why the hell are you opening more shops? You know, I think it needs to really think again. 31 million market cap, as I say, 17 million net cash pile. They should do something else with the money. Um, Diversify, go into something that actually can make a decent return on the money, I think. Uh, so I don't think I'd, I'm not as keen on it now. It's risen forty odd percent. I think um, maybe that's something to 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 think about top slicing. Um, I mean, it, you never know what might happen with it. Maybe some uh, you could get maybe some sort of reverse takeover of it with new management, new shareholders coming in and saying, right, we're going to do some, something more exciting with the cash. So you never know. Um, and at least management aren't burning the cash. So angling direct, quite interesting, I think. Oh, and looking at the to-do list on Wednesday, we covered everything. Yay! So that's good news. It is quiet, obviously, in August, isn't it? But it's, it's rather nice. Then you can get outside and enjoy the, the sun when it puts in an appearance in the afternoon. So, yeah.
Right, on to Thursday. We covered four companies. I've just realised I forgot to update the agenda, so I'll, I'll have to make a note and do that. So what do we look at? Graham looked at Sophian. This is the software business, ticker SPE. This was very popular with private investors a few years ago, a couple of years ago. Um, but it's, numbers haven't been great from it, and it's doing this SAS transition thing, you know, where they stop taking on um, perpetual licenses and getting the profit up front and instead move on to monthly uh, charges. I, I, I understand the rationale for that, that you get much more reliable income stream, less risk of profit warnings and so on, but you have a five-year transition, basically, which suppresses profitability. So you might have good growth under, under underneath, but it's not apparent in the numbers, and I haven't got five years worth of patience, personally. So, uh, yeah, interim results were in line. Um, it's 58 million market cap, Sophion is... Uh, what's he saying here? Yeah, limited organic growth capitalizes quite a lot of its costs. Some contract lumpiness still, but Graham thinks the valuation is getting close to value territory now. May already be there, he says. I had a, a look at it myself. I, I, I don't think it's particularly good value myself. So, but Graham seems to like price to sales ratios, which I don't, because I think price to sales ratios are pretty meaningless actually, because it's all about what margin you make, isn't it? Who revenue for vanity and profit for sanity and all that. Uh, or is it cash for sanity? I can't remember. Anyway, that was Sophion. Uh Now, I looked in depth at McFarlane, M-A-C-F. This is a Scottish-based packaging distributor. It does a little bit of manufacturing as well, but it's mainly distribution. Now, I've always liked this company, and I don't understand why the shares are so low. It's only pound ten a share, even though it looks like it's going to make about 12 pence earnings this year. And I really, so I thought I'll have a deep dive into this and really go through the interim numbers in a lot of detail, which is what I enjoy doing rather than flitting from one thing to another. Um, and uh, yeah, it looks really cheap. Uh, the, the, I came across an inter, we've covered this before, but I flagged up how it doesn't adjust out the amortization charge for its acquisitions, which nearly every other company does. So when you do that, actually, the profits are 20% higher than the reported profit number, which means that it's it's some people might, might be missing that, not realising how cheap it is. Well, the broker forecasts do adjust the numbers, and uh, I think it's a very attractive business. Um, balance sheet's okay. Uh, the working capital cycle is quite favourable. They seem to get good credit from their suppliers, so it, it only has negligible net debt, which keeps interest costs down. If you can use these suppliers as a bank, a free bank, then that's uh, <laughs> that's pretty good. Um, I think it looks to me as if the current year forecast should be uh, beaten, actually. So I think the fact that you've got a low PE and a chance of a beat against forecasts, sound balance sheet. I really like McFarlane. It trouble is it's one of those boring shares that never never goes anywhere. It's always cheap. So, but at some point, you know, it wouldn't surprise me if that re-rates. I just don't know when. And packaging shares generally seem to be on low ratings. There are some larger, much larger competitors that are also on very low PE ratios. So there you are. What else? Oh, Graham looked at hunting, HTG. I was surprised he only came out amber on that one. This was interim results for an oil and gas services business. Uh, 
Now, it was only in line with expectations, but the profits, the, the, the figures look quite good to me. I had a look at it myself. I'm surprised he didn't go amber-green on that one, but he, he stuck to amber. Now, oil services companies generally, I think, are very... In, and it's not really a sector I know that much about. But with energy insecurity and the fact that the oil price has gone up from quite a, a depressed level for many years, that apparently there's been underinvestment in oil and gas exploration and a lot of investors don't want to touch it because of ESG concerns but the reality is we still need oil and gas particularly developing countries and um, you know I've heard from several sources now that we're entering a positive period of exploration and development for new oil and gas fields around the world uh, and and actually, you know, it makes sense, doesn't it? Instead of us, you know, in the UK, we're importing all this LNG because we haven't got enough, and yet we've got all these deposits in the North Sea that we could uh, uh, use. And, and as one company said, finally, common sense has uh, has has regained control from from eco zealots. Who, yes, I, you know, we all understand the green thing. We know we've got to move to renewables, but it's a, a, a multi year process. It can't be done overnight, and you can't store renewable uh, electricity. So we've got to heat our homes and heat our hot water somehow, haven't we? And we still need gas for that. So um, I think this whole sector, oil service, oil and gas services, is very interesting. It seems to be entering a multi year. Uh, uh, um, positive phase. So I think hunting looks quite interesting. Now, a minnow in the in the same sector that I want to mention to you. This comes with a very high risk warning, and I have been buying this share myself this week. It's too small for the for the small cap value reports on Stockopedia, where we we have a cut off of about ten million. Uh, now the company is called Plexus. Rather amusingly, the ticket is P O S. <laughs> As lots of people have quipped, I hope that's not an omen. Now, anyway, I have been buying quite a lot of these. I think I've been pushing up the price against myself um, because I keep nibbling at it, um, buying smallish chunks of shares uh, repeatedly this week. Um, Very high risk. So this one is, you know, it's one of these things where... The the the, com- the com- looking back at the company's history, I haven't finished my research yet, but the the company uh, was profitable, but then in 2014 the oil price started to crash, and exploration um, and that side of things that Plexus relied on um, uh, withered away, and it went from making about five million a year profit to making heavy losses, and it almost went bust actually. And now what it does, Plexus, it does. Um, <coughs> very uh, innovative wellhead sealing devices for the wellheads which stop which are meant to be um best in in a best of breed that stop methane escaping from oil wells now this is something that apparently is now becoming a, a hot potato um american law has changed apparently to now start requiring oil and gas companies to not just continue allowing methane to escape, but to actually contain it. And Plexus has the product that does that. Now, also, they had to survive. They had to sell off their IP a few years ago and had a three-year non-compete clause. Now, the three-year non-compete clause has now ended, and they are in development with, with Schlumberger. Yes, I said it correctly. Schlumberger, a huge oil services giant that has licensed their technology and is going to go to market with it uh, uh, fairly imminently, which means that there's... Um, and they've just... There was an RNS saying that Schlumberger have extended the licensing deal 
with Plexus for another six years. So basically, the history of the company is horrendous in, in recent years, and it almost went bust. The, I saw in the audit report the CEO, who's in mid-70s, he founded the company nearly 40 years ago. So this has been his life's work. Presumably, I would imagine he's going to want to retire at some point. I haven't spoken to him yet. Um, and uh, uh, But yes, so the non-compete clause has now expired, so they can basically get back into their core activity again. And they've modified and improved the product further. Uh, it's all IP protected um, that Plexus has the patents for and the know-how. It's got a team of about 35 people up in Aberdeen. Uh, I think there are green shoots here. Oh, and the other thing, this was really why I, I bought into it. They've just announced a huge contract of, well, $5 million, and then it was up to $8 million for uh, wellheads uh, on a rental basis. And the whole $8 million apparently is going to be recognised as revenue um, in the current financial year, which I think is, is it March or June 2024? So anyway, Senkos has forecast that it will move into profit. Now, the market seems to have largely ignored this. Shares, well, shares bottomed out at about 3p, and they've been going up in a sort of stair-step move up to about 6p. But I think it was me who pushed it up from 5 to 6p, uh, because I just kept buying this week. Um, so I am a bit worried that, you know, I was getting the stock, so there is a seller in the market. Maybe I'll back off a bit and let it drift down again before buying any more. But I do think... Uh, Plexus looks very, very highly speculative. The CEO, oh, that was it. The CEO to get the audit report signed off. The CEO had to make, had to offer a three million pound loan facility for the company's use if it needed it, which is very unusual. Also, the CEO and I think the elderly chairman as well provided 1.5 million in funding last autumn to prop the thing up. So you couldn't, and they're major shareholders, they own about, I think, 60-odd percent of the company. So you have got concentrated shareholder risk. You know, small shareholders could get stuffed if they do a deal um, off-market or something. So, you know, this thing carries a lot of risk, Plexus does. But I think the upside on it, this could be a 10-bagger, if... Um, because it's been valued at nearly 200 million in the past. So, you know, if they win more contracts and the higher contracts, I don't know what the margin on them is. Um, I think they can get the, the kit made to order fairly quickly, they said in the narrative. I need to do more, more work on it. So it's high risk, but I think potentially high reward. So please do your own research on Plexus. Don't just blindly buy it on my say-so, because I'm not a sector expert. I don't know anything about the oil services sector. I just think the combination of super low market cap of 5 million um, and a major order that's just been announced... Um, and Senkos forecasting a move into profit based on that order, so it's not wishful thinking. Um, this could be really interesting. And I think the, they said they received a couple of million in milestone payments up front uh, from the big rental order. Um, if, this, if this becomes an industry standard, you know, the, the deal with Schlumberger is they get, I think, uh, royalties should start to come in at between 3 and 6% of... The deals. Well, some of these deals, you know, could be could be pretty big. Um, we we don't really know what's happening on the Schlumberger uh, licensing deal as yet, um, but royalties should start to flow. And if those are good, you know, certainly I think you could put a zero on the end of this market cap. So I think this is really potentially exciting. But I'm also aware of the fact that it could go horribly wrong. So I've 
mentally said, right, I put a fair old chunk of change into this, but, you know, you always have to think about downside. I could lose the lot if something goes wrong with it. So um, do do please be aware of that and do your own research. And I'd love to hear from sector experts. And, you know, everybody thinks Plexus is, is a piece of shit. <laughs> so the ticker is... And in those situations, I've done very well on, on one or two things like that in the past, where everybody thinks it's just terrible and have written it off, then suddenly big contract wins start to come through. That's how I, I, I did a major multi-bagger 20 years ago with Indigo Vision, which 30 bagged, and I bought 8% of the company when it was 2 million market cap. So you can do the sums. I, do, <laughs> I made a lot of money out of that. So... I'm wondering if Plexus might be um, a similar type of thing. Off-the-radar company, tiny market cap, suddenly big orders start rolling in. Well, one big order started uh, has emerged. I just hope it's not another one disco where the orders are fictitious, you know, so I'm, I'm taking the same risk again, aren't I? Anyway, there we are. That's Plexus. Have a look at it. Let me know what you think. I want to hear bearish views on it. I know there's a very strong bear case because it's had a disastrous track record in recent years. Um, but it looks like it's turning the corner to me. I had a quick look at Benchmark Holdings, BMK. This is the thing that does aquaculture biotech uh, for uh, salmon, I think, um, salmon lice and various other things. I, I thought the Q3 results looked look pretty uh, pretty dreadful. It's in line with expert market expectations, it says, but it's the valuation that's that's dreadful. Um, and, and it's loss-making. It just makes losses every year. Uh, and it's forecast to make a, a small maiden profit of $1.6 million next year. But it's valued at $280 million, benchmark is. Why? And it's got lots of gross debt. Uh, I just think it looks awful. So obviously there's some, uh, there are some smart investors on the shareholder list. So there's obviously something... Uh, there, which isn't obvious from the figures that Benchmark has put out. So do let me know if you think it's the best thing since sliced bread ball through the door, because I can't see it myself. Stuff that we didn't get round to looking at, apologies. James Cropper, this is the paper thing. Uh, it said ahead of expectations, but profit before tax was actually down on last year, so I couldn't really see anything particularly exciting there, so I, I skipped that one. Tribal interims, I look at them tomorrow, so we'll come on to that. And red-centric prelims, I didn't cover them, so I don't really understand that company very well. So that's Thursday. Right, Friday, my visitors left mid-morning, so I really focused on the report and caught up with nearly all of the things I wanted to catch up on, so that was great. CMC Markets put out a profit warning. This is the spread betting firm. I looked at it. Graham normally looks at this, so I had to look at it. I spent a couple of hours on it because I'm not familiar with the company. I think this looks really oversold, um, so I've marked it green. Despite the fact that it put out a profit warning, it dropped 15% down to £1.04. Now, the, the, the really in, now trading is, is poor and has deteriorated, but it's still profitable. But the main thing is, net tangible asset value is now above the market cap. And the assets are all liquid assets. So theoretically, you know, it's at a po- it's, it's, it's valued at less than the shutdown point, where you could just close the business, all the assets and liabilities would turn into cash, and you'd have more than the market cap <coughs> in cash. Now, it's owned, majority owned by Peter Crudus, 60-odd percent, I think. Um, <clears throat> I've said here I think it looks astonishingly cheap for a possible recovery in due course, not on a PE basis, of course, but on a... Uh, 
tangible asset value basis. We had a very good to and fro in the reader comments. Some of the readers flagging a potential regulatory issues, risk. Um, you know, is is it structurally declining in some way? Interest rates are much higher, which makes spread betting a lot more expensive. Uh, maybe some private punters have just given up, as indeed I have, and closed their spread betting accounts. Um, I don't know. So, so there are some question marks over it, but I think uh, CMC Markets looks crazily cheap. So I think that's definitely worth you having a look at. And weigh up, obviously, as always, weigh up your own in your own mind how you, you regard the risk. If it's this cheap, you know, maybe the market is telling us that actually, you know, you need to be careful with it. I don't know. And IG Index hasn't, for the, the larger competitor, hasn't fallen anywhere near as much as CMC Markets. So it does suggest maybe something's going wrong there. Um, and uh, oh it's being one of the readers helpfully pointed out it's being demoted from the FTSE 250 so that could be causing some selling pressure and it could be an opportunity maybe so I, th- I do think I'm tempted by it I was tempted if I'd had any cash I probably would have bought a few CMC markets but I've been putting all my cash into Plexus so so I don't I looked at Zenova Z-E-D this is tiny only 6 million market cap one of the readers asked me to have a look at it he's probably wishing he hadn't because <laughs> I pointed out everything that's wrong with it and marked it red basically it's run out of cash and it it's a recent float that's burnt through its cash pile products look look interesting but it needs to be properly funded so more dilution almost certain there so i would i would wait on zenova until it's properly refinanced now i did look at lookers here went through its interim results it's in a bid situation looks to me like they're they're going they're trading well ahead of expectations they don't actually say that but you can work out that in h1 they've made well over half of the full year profits and it usually seems to be split half and half so um i've said here the one pound 30 agreed cash takeover bid may not be as generous as it looks maybe the company's worth that or more uh, but you then have the risk if, if if you vote down the uh the takeover bid you know the shares are going to c- crash aren't they 20 percent or more because that's happened once already so i think with with lookers probably a bird in the hand and all that in wobbly macro times but Seems to be the case that the car dealers are still trading well, which is good, isn't it? Uh, Impellum, I had a look at, interim results. This is also majority owned, but by Lord Ashcroft, uh, a staffing company. I've marked it red. I think it's wildly overpriced. Again, I might have missed something with Impellum. Maybe there's something that's not obvious from the numbers, but I think it's valued three times what it's... Three or four times what I would even consider uh, you know a point where i'd be amber on it i just do not understand the valuation of impellum at all maybe there's some sort of technology in there or something that the market thinks is very valuable but certainly looking at its interim results uh, even allowing for the discontinued activities and so on i think impellum is wildly overpriced and if the bid falls through because it's currently in bid talks with a dutch group and i think there's you know a good chance that bid could fall through given that the market's softening i think this sh- this, sh- this share could crash big time so impellum if i held it I, now i'd get the hell out because you know you, why take the risk then tribal i looked at interim results these are i'm very negative on tribal generally this soft educational software business but to give it its due these figures were better than i expected it's got a poor track record weak balance sheet and there's a big legal dispute ongoing so i wouldn't go near it myself so i've been read in the past on tribal but very accident prone company um but the latest figures were actually quite good so i've edged and we've got to reflect reality 
We don't want to just, you know, have a, a, a tram-lined sort of fixed opinion on things. We change our mind when, when the facts change. So I've moved from red to amber-red. Um, could be a takeover target, which I mentioned before. Right, that's all I've got time for today. Sorry it's rambled on a bit. Um, yeah, fascinating times. Thanks again for all your support. We really appreciate everyone subscribing um, at Stockopedia. Obviously, there's lots there. It's not just my stuff. My stuff is a, a, a niche part of the site, but most people seem to like it. And long may it continue. And, um, yeah, we love your feedback and your comments, so keep those coming. And happier times will come. It's only a matter of time. So please don't get too despondent. Uh, we might have to go through a few more rough months as the economy slows and so on but that's markets look six months ahead don't they and at some point you'll start to see markets pricing in recovery in a lot of these cyclical shares and i think a lot of them i think will be celebrating fabulous gains in 2024 you know on some of these shares so it's something to look forward to isn't it okay enjoy the long weekend thanks again bye bye